just because people have used tools badly before doesn't mean that we can't sharpen them well and use them well. Investing in good companies is a really good thing to do. Do you have to work really hard and do your diligence to make sure that those are good companies? Absolutely. Should we not do it just because it's hard? No. Welcome back, everybody. Rich Brubaker here today with another episode of the Sustainable Ambassador Podcast. Today, I am so honored to be joined by Kate Williams, the CEO of 1% for the Planet. Uh, this is an organization that has done wonderful work to raise awareness and deploys money to thousands of NGOs every year. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for joining the community. If you wouldn't mind, as a starting point, maybe introduce yourself and a little bit about the work of 1%. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. We were founded um, by Yvonne Chenard of Patagonia and his buddy, Craig Matthews, who had a company called called Blue Ribbon Flies. And they were both companies that were giving back and they realized that they needed to and wanted to create a movement. And I've been in my uh, role for eight years, joined 1% for the Planet nine years ago, came in at a, a different level and moved to CEO after a year. Um, and it's been a great ride. What was like the original idea behind the movement? Did it just come together over a fishing trip or was there was there like a, a real plan behind this in terms of they, they did some research, realized this is one tool of the, the legacy that they want to leave? You know, they're basic premise was like, well, we are recreational businesses and we have a direct connection, but every business has an impact and every business needs a right, right. healthy planet. So, you know, really the goal was to make it a big global movement, engaging businesses across all sectors, because every business has an impact and every business has the opportunity to expand their positive impact by investing in the nonprofit sector. And why 1%? Why not three or 10 or I mean I think it's again both like plan and passion and and I would say it's it's uh um both really functional but also creates a narrative that works. So from a functional mm -hmm. level, you know, 1% of sales and that's key. It's not 1% of profits, it's 1% of sales. It's a big number. <laughs> so we definitely have people who say like, you know, 1% that's not enough, it should be more, but I think anyone who's run a business particularly in certain sectors that's a, that's a really big number. At another level, it's also, you can wrap your head around it and you can also, and we really encourage people to think about like, okay, like what's 1% of your time? What's 1% of your money? What do you, what's 1% of what you spend on coffee? You know, things like that, yeah. that we can all sort of do that math. So how has the movement evolved over this time? Any like, so from Copenhagen to COVID, we had a huge level, like outsized awareness about the issues, a lot of discussion. You know, how, how have you seen that change the last 10 years? There have been changes that have been more like structural. When we were started, like going back 21 years, like that was when the internet was pretty new. That was different then. And so being a place where people could find vetted nonprofits, like served a, a, a different kind of role. I would say the other big change is a shift in consumer expectations. I think people really started to realize and expect that their purchasing dollars could be a, a primary way in which they could drive change. So that was kind of emerging over the last 10 years and really accelerating, I would say, in the, you know, the last five years. And so you have that sort of stream coming in. And then when COVID hit, I think it gave us a way to see global change at scale can happen really, really fast. All yeah. of those things converged and we saw a ton of growth in, 19, in uh, 20 and 21 and right into 22. I mean, we've seen a wow, lot of great, which we totally didn't expect. I've been saying here that actually sustainability kind of took a back seat to like, I need to solve my problems today. And that, yeah, I'm, I'm empathetic and I, I know that this is coming, but just give me a minute, you know? And so it's, it's good mm -hmm. to hear that the movement kept snowballing. Totally. And I actually, I actually really did think like 
you know, the, uh, exactly what you're saying, that it would take a vaccine. You know, most people, there weren't a whole lot of levers they could pull to address COVID. But I do think that led to people turning to like, well, how can I contribute to the world being a better place? But I just think there's this like moment in which we saw the interconnectedness of things on the planet. And so I think people leaned into taking action. Physically, it's a 1% ask. But what's the actual impact from there? Is the goal to move and support nonprofits? Or would you say that the goal is through the action of supporting nonprofits, growing awareness, taking that first step, that you're actually changing business? It's yes to that in that it's both. So our, yeah. our the structured model, like what we certify, what the 1% for the planet logo means at its like definitive narrowest level is that this member has been certified to have given their 1%. And we have a really awesome certification process. At any given yeah. time, about 99% of our network is certified. So at a time when mm. greenwashing is a problem, 1% for the planet members are really doing it. We certify that. So, mm. you know, that that is the core of what we focus on. Right. And to your question, like what we also see and support and encourage is that it's energizing to do that. And it's yeah. um, educational to do that. And you become part of a community when you do that high level certification. And so all sorts of other things do happen. So one little story is we have a member, Sunski, they're an awesome sunglasses brand. And they joined about probably 10 years ago. And you know, these two young guys who founded it and, you know, loved Yvonne, loved the book, Let My People Go Surfing. They were surfers, like, cool, we yeah. should join 1% for the planet. Like, great yeah. vibe. So they yeah. joined and, you know, of course they have to give their 1%. So we're like, thumbs up, awesome. And they were doing their 1%, you know, great engaged member. And they were in conversation with one of their, the environmental partners that they were giving to. Mm. And, uh, you know, this partner said like, we really love getting that check every year and you have a lot of plastic in your product. So like, just saying, like, it'd be nice if you could change that while you're at it. Yeah. And so like data received, and then, you know, a little while later, they came to a, an event that we hosted and Yvonne was there and they, you know, had a moment with Yvonne and, you know, said, we're 1% for the planet members too. And he's like, great, love your product. Thanks for being part of the network. By the way, you have a lot of plastic in your product. So fast forward, they, they had this positive peer pressure from the network. They yeah. dug in and they actually created a new manufacturing process using um, recycled plastic pellets from another member. And mm. they now have this fully recycled plastic line yeah. that was a you know new man manufacturing. We don't certify that like, you know, at a structural level, 1% for the planet doesn't have anything to right. do with it at a... Um, at an inspirational, like positive peer pressure, 1% of the planet has everything to do with that. You know, my my NGO runs volunteer platform. And what I find is like, this is a gateway to what I hope is something better. Like we're providing a little bit more of a taste of the challenge and hope that people, you know, drink from the trough and then go away and do something more. And so that kind of reshaped how I even approached building the organization. And I'm curious, what moments have you had where you look at the organization, you know, like, wow, okay, we're making some progress. We should change the product or change the platform. Or like to play with it so you can have a, a greater impact. Like I can give you an example, like our core model has been and remains our business membership model. Uh, more recently, we added and we're really leaning into growing what we call our planet impact fund. So okay. one of the things we went into our strategic planning in 2019 thinking about was our model is growing and it's mm -hmm. strong and we have great brand recognition. 
and it's fundamentally incremental. Like it's right. always 1%, 1%, 1%. And that's great. Like we can get more 1% and they add up and we've seen that, but is there a way that we could create something that doesn't in any way weaken that, but that um, enables us to get more exponential in how we're driving impact, but that still mm. builds on our core competencies. So where we landed is that we la last year, um, April of 2022 launched the Planet Impact Fund which okay. is kind of uh, built on the concept of the donor advised fund. So it's mm -hmm. a philanthropic tool. So people make donations into the fund okay. and then those the, it, it's a dual impact opportunity. So the, those funds are invested for positive impact. And we have a really okay. awesome investment, underlying investment pool. Um, and then we also annually grant about 10% to environmental partners. And we selected a portfolio of those. So we're mm -hmm. continuing to like have that sort of philanthropic commitment to nonprofits. And that's where a lot of immediate real-time this year change happens. And that's yeah. really important. And we're also like moving into that ability to use philanthropic dollars to drive change at the investment level, which is super exciting. And that you know, brings us into an opportunity to engage not just members. So members can give yeah. to the Planet Impact Fund as part of their certified giving, but we can yeah. also attract non-members because it's not based on, you don't have to give 1% to this. You can give okay. whatever you can So and that's been really exciting because it's kind of an innovation in the philanthropic space. Can It lives right, you know, it sits right alongside our membership model. Doesn't, doesn't weaken right. that brand in any way, um, but just creates a new way for us to leverage what we know best, which is philanthropy, um, yeah. to, but to use that in a new way to drive change hopefully exponentially. You mentioned you're making investments. Are you investing into for-profit or are you investing into non-profit? Yeah. So the underlying investments right now, they're public investments. Um, okay. And so they okay. are, and we've created really high bar screens. So, you know, okay. our, you know, benchmarks are like, you know, orders of magnitude higher than, you know, some standard ESG. So, you know, really mm -hmm. pushing the envelope there. And then as the fund grows, we'll move into some private investments. Okay. But other non I, I specifically remember NRDC and Greenpeace both invested money and, you know, took a lot of flack for that. So when you were looking at that, what were you worried about the risk of that? Or was it something that you just, you knew that at the time, and that was many years ago, like now is actually the time to be doing this. But then you had to figure out how to do it because you're, a, you know, you're more, much more of a platform than you were an active investor. That's a very different organization. So how did you assess that risk and the opportunity? I'm a big believer that just because people have used tools badly before doesn't mean that we can't sharpen them well and use them well. And I think that I would say that goes for investing, like well investing said. in good companies is a really good thing to do. Do you have to work really hard and do your diligence to make sure that those are good companies? Absolutely. Mm. But should we, should we not do it just because it's hard? No. So I, I really believe and we have awesome partners. So CapShift is our partner on the investment side and they've been incredibly helpful because this was, I basically felt like I had to go back to school as we were learning how to do this just to yeah, and, the, and they yeah. were the you know the perfect teachers, and so they now are our partner, and they're you know a structural mm -hmm. partner, and then the National okay. Philanthropic Trust is the fiduciary. So okay. we're able to be the philanthropic experts. We play that role and we're the convening experts. So we've sort of, you know, hold the, mm. the partnership together. But again, like, I feel like it's a tool that if used well, which we intend and are on the path to doing can yeah. drive change in a really, really positive way. Staying true to your purpose, 
in a nonprofit vehicle usually means stay in this exact lane, but you're, you're breaking out of it. So I'm curious, how do you look at an opportunity, the nonprofit space to really have a, a much different level of impact than say a traditional nonprofit would have been told they should have? We exist to inspire action and commitment. So our planet and future generations thrive. So, you know, the commitment piece, the action like that, you know, our membership model is very much doing all of those things, but that purpose yeah. statement doesn't say you will implement this through a business membership model. Within that, um, you know, the Planet Impact Fund feels like spot on because it, you know, the expertise that we're delivering, the the how that we bring in is that philanthropic um, strategy, yeah. environmental philanthropy strategy. Um, the why, the purpose is like, absolutely nails it. And then, um, you know, I would say more maybe kind of core values. So we have four core values that we live by. One is unleash passion every day. Um, mm -hmm. One is grow stronger together. One is think big, act now. And the fourth is celebrate commitment. So when I look at the Planet Impact Fund and, you know, as we were sort of filtering, you know, to your good question, like, is this, is this a fit? I'm like, absolutely. This is the embodiment of think big act now, you know, this is yeah. absolutely a way that we can sort of charge forward with passion. So core values, purpose, you know, expertise, it all does really fit. And I love leading a nonprofit that has that kind of um, yeah. clarity, but also space to be innovative. What is the power of the nonprofit to really solve problems that we're facing? And we need business to shift. Great, get it. But what's the power of the nonprofit that you see is either untapped or has yet to be unleashed to solve these problems? And how, how do the people fit into that? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's such a good question. It's such a huge question. I think I usually I don't start here, but I will say a challenge that I think nonprofits face is that they often for very good reasons are operating in a scarcity mindset because it can be so hard to get the resources or because you know I do think this is a challenge with nonprofits to the on the like people side is that you know you, it, they do attract incredibly passionate people and sometimes there's a miss in terms of figuring out a revenue model um mm. my belief that nonprofits are best served by running with a small business or a business mindset in terms of just yeah. their operations. Like you still have to pay for yourself. And some of that should be fundraising. Like, you know, nonprofits right. should like tap into all the different ways that they can, you know, access resources, but to be super passionate and not have a revenue model to back it up creates a scarcity mentality within the nonprofit, which is not the best conditions within which to operate in it. So the opportunity is that nonprofits, um, have this ability to drive towards these missions that are not constrained by the marketplace and that are addressing real issues that people in, in all sectors can agree on, but that there's yeah. no market mechanism to solve them or that may there, maybe there's not a market mechanism yet. There's so many incredible people committing in the, to, to the work in the nonprofit yeah. sector and even more would, I think, if they felt that they could pay their rent while doing that, because that is a real challenge sometimes. Yeah, I, I have... Oh, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years and people are always like, how can you, you know, we, we do a fee-based project service to corporates and then we divert everything to student, individual and other from there. And people are like, you charge a lot of money for this. I'm like, we have rent too. We have light bulbs. I have staff. Now, 
And then one time, actually, I was talking with someone from the accounting firms who they want us to organize a very large project for them. And so I give them the budget. And she's like, wow, that's just too expensive. I'm like, okay, for you to do it. And I was just assuming she made about $8,000 a month, just as an example. I'm like, it'll take you six to nine months to set that up. That's three times the cost of just paying me tomorrow to get it done. So what's the most efficient allocation of capital so that we can just get this project going, have the impact and move on? And I found that those conversations, you have to learn to be confident in the position of leadership to really just push back and say, no, I have to protect my organization to protect the mission. I think it's really, really important for us to like shift that mindset. And of course, like there should be transparency. Of course, you know, it should be as we should expect of anyone, business or nonprofit, there should be, you know, diligence in how, you know, work is evaluated and things like that. But all of that is like totally solvable. Again, like those are, you know, those are things that like, like using a tool in the right way, like Mm -hmm. let's, let's like do it right. And let's figure out how we can make sure that we can create that abundance that enables um, nonprofits to like really charge forward with all of the excellence that we all want and need to see. Um, And that shouldn't be at the expense of, you know, the people who are living there of the, of their sort of well-being and lives, which in a lot of cases it is. And that's not something we, we seek to seek to change. So as a final question, you're talking to an ED or a CEO who's, you know, for, for whatever reason, looking at a, at a really challenging, like they want to build this movement, engage people, drive impact, but they're operating in a scarce environment. What are, what are some steps along the path that you'd give them to like, to break out of not just the mindset, but also to like, to take those, what are the next steps to, to in the movement and keeping in mind, it's going to take 10, 20 years to get there. First thing I would say is talk to a lot of people, reach out, build connections. Don't be scared to ask for help. Think big, act now. So like, Mm. you know, think really big about like, what's the possibility? What can we create that doesn't exist? What do we need that doesn't exist? That's the opportunity. And then, you know, maybe the last thing is identify a few really, really good people to do your work with. And sometimes that requires making hard decisions to get to the right team, but like do that work. I think particularly when things are tight or when the going is tough, to have a team that you can really release to be wildly successful back to sort of my leadership motto that creates so much strength and like connectivity between you is just such a lift. And, you know, again, that's a way that you move from scarcity to opportunity. 